0: Come Holy Spirit, let us hear your words to us today. Show us the face of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled the sermon today, The Lord of Your Life Leads Your Life. If you're a note taker, there you go. The Lord of Your Life Leads Your Life. In other words, to know and worship God does not simply mean to say something. Or to add God to your life so that you might get something. In fact, if Jesus is Lord, that means he's master. And as master, he gets to say what we do and how we do it. That's what it means to follow him. To put it another way, worship is about lordship. Contrary to common use, worship is not about primarily singing, coming to a building like this once a week, Worship is about lordship. The Lord of your life leads your life. So you might ask yourself, who is Lord? Who is leading you? That answer might not be as easy as it seems. We've been in this series called Honest to God, discussing the life of King David. We've been here for several weeks. Um, hopefully you've been able to follow along. If not, please read First and 2 Samuel, some amazing stories in there of God's faithfulness but I'm going to do a a really quick review just in case you've missed any of it, okay? So bear with me. David, the first time we see him, he's a shepherd boy. He gets anointed as the second king of Israel. Why? Because Saul, the first king, had failed. He had become disobedient to God, and God rejected him. So David is anointed, even though he's the least of his brothers. Next time we see David, he kills Goliath which is a very famous story of David. That's probably the one most of us know. He kills Goliath, this hero, this giant hero of the Philistines. And then after that, he becomes a famous war captain. Saul sends him out with the troops and says, ah, eh, go fight. Well, he's very successful. That's where Saul gets embittered and jealous because everyone starts singing, David has killed ten thousands. Saul, thousands. Saul dies in battle After all this conflict, as Dan spoke about last week, after Saul's death, shortly thereafter, David becomes king of the entire nation of Israel. So here we are. Last week, Dan spoke about how David captured the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, and he desired to set up his kingdom there, sort of the the Washington DC of Israel, if you will. In our story today, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, The Ark of the Covenant is that thing from Indiana Jones. No, wait, it is. I got a picture right here. This is an artistic rendering. It's from the Bible, really. They took it from the Bible. It's a wooden box, it's covered with gold. It's got these two figurines of the cherubim on the top. It was probably the most important religious object in the people of Israel's religious practice. It's lived inside of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And God would speak to his people from the mercy seat, which is that spot right in between those two wings. So, it's very important that David bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem because he wants to establish a city that is not just politically powerful, but it is the center of the Jewish faith. David is, after all, a man after God's own heart. Loves the Lord his God and wants to follow him now why was the ark missing it had been missing for 20 years or more the Philistines you remember the Philistines Goliath they were the enemies of Israel and they had decided to steal the ark of the covenant because they knew how special it was this turned out to be a really bad idea they put the ark in their temple their pagan temple and their idols started to fall over and crumble mysteriously. They themselves started to get boils and sicknesses and disease, death. They eventually figured out this is the problem. We have to get rid of it. So, what do they do? Well, they very superstitiously took the ark of the covenant, put it on the back of this ox cart, and they sort of smack the behind of the oxen and says, "Hopefully, they're going to find their way home." And of course, they do. The important thing to note is that it had been gone for quite some time and this is a really big deal that David wants to bring it into Jerusalem. But things don't go quite as smoothly as David hopes. Isn't that the way it goes? You know, try to do something good, it doesn't go right. Let's pick up just our story. Again, this uh, page 258 if you want to follow along. I'm just going to summarize each section. Verses 1 through 5, we find out that David gathers all, the, all his armies and they... Have a party because the Ark is coming in. I mean, you can imagine there's fireworks happening. The people are thinking, we're getting the day off tomorrow. Um, this is going to become a national holiday at some point. I mean, this is going to be Ark Day. We're going to all have a barbecue. It's fantastic. So, David's like, he's leading the party. He's excited. Everybody's happy. But when we read this, something should make us think wait a minute. It says, they brought the Ark on a new cart. A new cart. If there's anyone in here who is somewhat of an Old Testament scholar, you'll know the cart method is not the right method. In Exodus 25, God spoke to Moses, and he said, build an ark. I want it to be this big, and I want it to have this in it. And I want you to put rings on the legs of the ark. And I want you to put poles through those rings, and that's how you should carry it. The priests had to carry it, And they had to use poles. So, here's what we find out. The problem is, David did not use God's prescribed method. He puts the ark on a cart. When I was reading this, the question came to me, where did he get that idea? Remember the Philistines? Superstition drove them to send it away on a cart. They didn't know any better. David should have known better. King of Israel, what's the king supposed to do? Know the law. So David didn't do his homework, either because he was lazy. Maybe he couldn't find any Levites. I don't know. Levite vacation. But that brings me to a question. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just copied somebody else without asking God to try to get something done? Or maybe ignored God's way and said, no, I'm just going to do it my way anyway. I have. Don't raise your hand. See, the Lord of your life leads your life. The master, the one to whom we bow, is the one who, who makes the decisions. So if you've, ever, if you've ever done this, if you've ever made your own choices and said, I'm going I'm to figure it out like I have, you know it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well for David either. In verses 6 through 8, we find that here comes the oxen on the cart. Ba-dum, ba They come to this uneven ground. And then you can imagine this big, heavy wooden box start to go. And Uzzah, poor Uzzah. I mean, he's just trying to help, right? He and his brother and their dad, Abinadab. Say that one, Abinadab. He and his brother are trying to help the king. That seems like a great thing to do, Right? They're patriotic. We want to help our king. He reaches out and he grabs it. And God strikes him dead for it. So David is angry because God has struck Uzzah down. Because he didn't take take the time to think about, well, what's what's the right way to do this? So that leads me to my second question. Have you ever been angry at God for your bad choices? I have. It doesn't make much sense that David would be angry at God because he chose the cart. But we do that. The Lord of your life leads your life. So if we want to be our own Lord, it makes sense that we would accept the consequences. But so often we blame other people, don't we? Blame somebody. It's everybody else's fault. Just can't get a break. God, see, I'm trying to do this right, and this is what I get for it. David's angry and afraid. David, the man after God's own heart, angry at God, afraid of God. The story takes a really important turn here, though. David doesn't stay angry. He stops the party. Stop the music. Okay, we're going to exit off the freeway, Obed Edom's house. Can I borrow your shed? I need to regroup. But what does he do? He's honest with God. He says, God, I'm angry and I don't know what to do next. And he figures out what to do. If you look at the parallel of this story in 1 Chronicles 15, it says that David, there's a little more detail. It's the same story, different writer. A little more detail. David says to the Levites, because you didn't carry it last time, the Lord struck out against us. So listen to what David does. He doesn't stay angry. He tries again. In verses 12 through 15, David went and brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom with great rejoicing. Verse 13, really important. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Did you notice the things that changed his second time around? Three things changed. First, when those who carried the ark of God, aha, the cart is no more. When they had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. I don't know if that means the first six steps or every six steps. Either way, it's expensive. Think about that. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, stop the parade. Sacrifice. One. Two, three, four, five, six. Everybody stop. Another sacrifice. What's David doing? He's paying the price. The presence and power of God, represented by the ark, bringing it into the midst of the people, there's a price. The first time, the price was Uzzah's life. Second time, David says, all right, I'll pay the price. So he makes sacrifices. The third thing that changed is that David is wearing a linen ephod. It's kind of like a robe that the priests would wear in service of God. That means he was taking responsibility and he was actually going first with the celebration. He wasn't just part of the party. So he didn't stay angry. He didn't get bitter. He didn't say, I'll never give you another chance, God. No, he tried again. He figured out who was Lord, and he let God lead him. So when we look at this story, how do we respond? I mean, here we are, Fleming Island, Florida. This is a long time ago in Israel. What do we do? I think there's two ways we can approach a story like this. We could see it first as a model, example to follow. Some good stuff there. We can also see it as a picture of the gospel, I want to look at both of those really quick. For our lives, David gives us a a model to follow. There's so many admirable qualities about David. That's what you hear. David, a man after God's own heart. He was tender. We see that in the Psalms. And yet, a great warrior. A man's man. I mean, who doesn't want to be like that? But there's three things in the story. The cart, the consequences, and David's correction. We might model ourselves after those three things. The cart, the consequences, and the correction. First, the cart. Like I mentioned earlier, what are the ways in our lives that we try to improve on God's ways? That's the cart. What am I doing that's more convenient even though that's not how God says to do it? Here are some examples. God, I I know you say, don't cheat on your taxes, but that's the only way I can make ends meet. Or, God, I know you said I need to keep my word all the time, but I'm really going to bind this one on this one, so you understand. Or, God, I know you said I'm supposed to wait for you, but I just have to have it now. Friends, what we're really saying is, God, I actually know how to be a better Lord than you. There's a saying that goes like this. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus lead, leads. The Lord of your life will lead your life. So often, we're the one to blame and put ourselves on that throne. If Jesus leads, that means what he says goes. It means when, when I need wisdom, I can ask him. It means when I need provision, I can go to him. And if there's a, a more convenient way out there to get something done, I might want to be careful because He's Lord. So first, the cart. The second one, the consequences. You might ask yourself this question. Am I experiencing consequences for my bad decisions? Think about it. It's so easy to play the blame game. I just can't get a break, God. What choices are we making? What choices are you making? In the story, Uzzah dies. That's the consequence. Boom. Somebody's son dead. Somebody's brother We need to be very clear on something. This is teaching us something. When we go outside of God's ways, consequences. That's the truth. To use the examples from before, you cheat on your taxes, you can go to jail. That's a consequence. If you go back on your word, it can cost you your character. It can cost you your relationships. It can cost you your job. Consequence. If you jump ahead of God's timing on something, you can have a lot of regret in your life. Now, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, buddy. We're at Grace Anglican Church here. What about grace? Yes, there's grace. Maybe grace means we don't get struck dead. I'm serious. Grace is not a free pass to ignore the lordship of Jesus. And grace does not always mean I don't experience the consequences of my bad choices. God is love. True? Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to let me experience consequences. I have a two-year-old daughter. What do you think is more loving for her as she grows, as she learns, letting her experience consequence, or letting her have freedom? God has given us boundaries. Boundary lines in which to live. Listen, boundaries are an act of love. Did you know that? Sometimes our free spirit as Americans can get in our way on this one. Right? No, no boundaries. I must have complete freedom. This is America. Boundaries are an act of love. And we step outside of bounds, there are consequences. One pastor friend I have says, Stupid hurts. Stupid hurts every time. So when we step outside of the boundaries, there are consequences. When Jesus is Lord, though, He leads. And we follow His ways because He loves us and He wants what's best for us. Lordship of Jesus is really about seeing Him for who He is. Okay? Because He really is the Lord. Right? Jesus is Lord of all. That's real, true reality. I asked the kids in the Kids ministry, well, I didn't ask the kids. I asked some of the leaders of the kids to help me on this one because I wanted to see what do the kids think about how they see God. So I said, I gave them a simple assignment. Draw a picture of God. What does God look like? How do you see him? Here are some examples. That's a mystery, mystery, mysterious nature of God. Maybe that's the Trinity. I don't know. The next one. Galaxy God. Uh, Van Gogh. That looks like Van Gogh to me. This is an artist in the making. The, the last one, self-portrait. God. <laughs> She's made in the image of God. She knows it. It's a deep theological treatise right there. You know when kids, when kids draw pictures, that's really cute. What picture would you draw? What's God like in your life? If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus leads. If we worship him, he is Lord. Worship is about lordship. So you have the cart, the consequences, and the correction. The last thing we can look at David and we can say, well, we should do that. We should correct our course just like David did. David could have become really bitter. He had the choice. He was angry. This was a traumatic experience. Someone died right in front of him in the middle of the worship service. He could have said, I'm never going back to church again. Forget it. No, but what did David do? He was honest to God. He let God see his fear, see his anger, and he figured out who was really Lord. And we can do the same thing. We don't have to stay angry. God can hear our anger. He can hear our fear. He can hear our honesty. And he will answer us with the right way. So before I pray, I want to just talk about really quickly the second layer of this story. So there's a model to follow. And if we stopped here, it would probably be really good. Like if we started to follow, you know, okay, don't do anything that's not God's way, check. Uh, When I do things that are not God's way, consequences, check. Um, Correct if I go wrong, check. Hang on. We'd be nice, good, moral people if we were able to do that. But there's a second layer here. And it's a picture of the gospel. Do you know that when Saul was in the cave and David had the opportunity to kill him, what was his answer? Do you remember? He said, far be it from me to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. What's that word anointed in Hebrew? Mashiach. What word in English do we have? Messiah. When Jesus came and they said, are you the Messiah? They would have made the connection immediately to the line of David, the anointed kings. So Jesus fulfills this role of the priestly king. The cart in the story, we could see that as a human invention to try to bring the presence and power of God into the midst of the people. Oh, it's convenient, it's so efficient, everybody's doing it. Sounds like religion, it sounds like moralism. Do your best and God will accept you. How does that end? Death and destruction. But the anointed one, the anointed king, Jesus, he does it a different way. He brings the presence and power of God right into the middle of the people. And it's not through the sacrifice and death of Uzzah, it's through his own death. It wasn't through the blood of ox and fatted animals six steps up the hill. It was his own blood up the hill to the cross. And Jesus leads us in joyful procession as our great high priest who has gone before us rejoicing and made a way for us. So don't hear this story as advice to try to get better. The answer is not try harder, it's bow lower. Worship is about lordship. When we worship him, when he's the Lord, he leads. So that's my encouragement to you today my plea to you today don't come to church and try to live your life better don't come and try to get it right it's impossible jesus has made a way for you and for me to get it right because he has gone before he gave his own life he shed his own blood he's our great high priest and paul writes to the corinthians thanks be to god who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of him everywhere. That's how we live in the gospel. May we be that kind of people. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I just, I praise you. Worship you, Lord, for all of the reasons that we have to give you thanks. But above all, we give you thanks For your son, Jesus Christ, through whom our perfect sacrifice was made, through whom we have access to the presence and power of God, because Jesus embodied it, and then he breathed and sent the Holy Spirit to live right here in our midst. Help us to remember, as we worship you today, as we come to your table, help us to remember the cost. Drawing near to this power and presence of our God who loves us, help us to embrace the free grace of the gospel and to live in Your ways. For Your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you. To-